Let's go to God's Word together. Turn with me to 1 John in chapter 2 this morning. I have some good news for you this morning. Good news for sinners. Good news especially for saved sinners. And we're going to see it here in John chapter 2. I want you to go and look with me at verses 1 and 2. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Father, we come before You this morning, bowing before You in prayer, and I pray that the attitude of our hearts would be bowed before You and yielded before You and yielded before Your Word and what You have to teach us today. God, I pray that it would always be so of us, that we would humble ourselves before You, yielded to the work that You desire to do in us through the power of the Word, through the working of the Holy Spirit. And we ask for that work today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We were reminded of some very good news last week that fellowship with God and fellowship with God's children is possible. And not only that, but that fellowship with God and that fellowship with God's children means complete joy for us. Complete joy for followers of Christ who take part in that fellowship with God and take part in that fellowship with other believers. We were reminded last week also of some bad news. Reminded of the bad news that we have an enemy. And that enemy is sin. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have an enemy, and that enemy is sin because sin breaks our fellowship with God. And because sin breaks our fellowship with God, sin breaks our fellowship with other believers. And because our fellowship can be broken, we can lose joy. And we can lose that complete joy and satisfaction that is found, that is intended to be found in fellowship with God and with God's children. We come to 1 John chapter 2 this morning, and we come to look at verses 1 and 2 this week, and we find that for those who are followers of Christ, we return to the good news. And there is good news, and it is about Jesus Christ. There is good news for saved sinners. And we see in 1 John so far that As we have studied in chapter 1, we've seen so far that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. Fully God. This is important. Fully God. Fully man. And as I even say that, as I say God fully and man fully, it can be confusing to us, can't it? Fully God. Fully man. That's one of those biblical truths that sort of boggles our minds because we can't seem to think in terms like 
fully God and fully man. That sounds like something that ought to equate to 200%, right? But that's what the Scripture teaches, that God came in human flesh. And Jesus Christ was that God in human flesh that came and lived fully God, fully man. And that is one of those truths that's best handled by simple faith rather than trying to figure it out because we will never figure it out this side of heaven. Jesus Christ is God, and yet He was born into the world in human flesh and lived as a man. But there's something else about this wonderful, mind-boggling truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and it's that Jesus, though He was tempted as we are, though the Scriptures say He was tempted as we are, He lived sinless, completely without sin. And John says it this way in chapter 1, that God is light, and don't forget that Jesus is God, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. God is, Jesus is, light, meaning He is truth, He is righteousness, and the fact that there is no darkness at all in Him is just another way of making it very clear that God, that Jesus, is sinless. There is no sin in God. And the sinlessness of Jesus makes it possible for Him to be the acceptable and complete sacrifice for our sins. It all hinges on that. His sinlessness. And this truth leads to some other wonderful truths for us which are revealed by John in our text this morning. And John reminds us that His purpose in writing has been so that believers will not sin. And I emphasize here that John is addressing believers when he says in chapter 2 and verse 1, look at it with me again, would you? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, he begins by saying, My little children. John is writing to the church and to believers with some fatherly advice. And John sends this message to believers that God doesn't want His children to sin. God doesn't want His little children to sin. We are God's little children, you know. If we are followers of Christ, we're His children. And I'm writing these things, says John. John is God's mouthpiece. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We learn from 1 Peter chapter 1 that this ought to be the desire of every follower of Christ to not sin. We ought to pursue not sinning. First Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 reminds us that as obedient children, we are not to be conformed. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so this morning I come to you with five pieces of good news for believers who sin. Five pieces of good news for saved sinners. And you can mark them down. I hope that you will, so that you will be encouraged by what we see here in verses 1 and 2 in 1 John chapter 2. And here is where the good news begins again for us in 1 John chapter 2. This is wonderful news for Christians. It is possible to not sin. You realize that? It is possible to not sin. 
And that is good news. We were born with a sin nature. The psalmist expresses this truth in Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And though we receive a new new nature, yes, we do receive a new nature when we confess our sin and believe in Jesus Christ. And that new nature is a wonderful and divine and miraculous and supernatural gift from God which helps us to not sin we still have the old nature. And we still contend with the old nature. And we still must fight the old nature that leads us to sin. That old nature which drags us towards sin. The new nature holds us back from the precipice of sin. And so the first piece of good news that we hear from John is that it is possible to not sin. Now, having been a follower of Christ for many years, I've been a believer for 35 years. And I am often frustrated with myself that I still sin. Can you identify with that? Are you ever frustrated with yourself? Some of you have been believers longer than I have. I hate to remind you that you still sin. And so there is no one in this room who doesn't need this reminder from God's Word. And we ought to be careful here when we talk about sin and the sin that we are frustrated with because I am not talking about the sin of your spouse, (laughs) husbands and wives, or the sin of your children, parents, or the sin of your parents, children, We need to be very careful here that we examine our own hearts for the sin that God wants to root out of our lives and help us to rid from our lives. And it is so easy for us to get frustrated with (laughs) our spouse because they still sin, right? Or frustrated with our children because they still sin. Or frustrated with our parents because they still sin. Frustrated with our grandchildren because they still sin. Frustrated with our brothers and sisters in Christ in God's church because they still sin. And forget the log in our eye, right? And so, I challenge you to deal with your own sin this morning and think with God about your sin. A disappointment and a brokenness over sin can be a very good thing. David was broken before God over his sin. In Psalm 51, verse 3, we read this, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Paul, too, was frustrated with himself over sin. In Romans chapter 7, 15, we have this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I Do the very thing that I hate. And oh, how we identify with that. But there is also reason for hope when we do sin. Our hope is in the fact that as believers, we have God, the Holy Spirit, in our bodies that helps us to not sin. 
And when we yield to the Word, and when we yield to the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives with the Word, and when we prostrate ourselves before God in prayer asking for His help, we find that it is possible to not sin. And our goal as believers should be John's stated purpose for writing to the believers, and that is to not sin. And though perfection is not going to happen this side of heaven for us, we ought to live with the realization that with the new nature and based on the fact that we have God the Holy Spirit living in us, it is possible to not sin. Before we came to Christ, it wasn't possible for us to not sin. We lived our days in rebellion against God. We didn't have the inworking presence of the Holy Spirit who gave us a new nature. We were still bound by the old nature completely. But if we do sin as believers, there is hope. And we do sin, don't we? And so we need hope. And we need this second piece of good news, which is that if we do sin, we do not lose our salvation. If we do sin, we do not lose our salvation. Notice in verse 1, that John says Jesus is with the Father. And you might glance at that and say, where where do we get that no loss of salvation from that? John says Jesus is with the Father, which points to the fact that Jesus intercedes on our behalf with the Father, of course. Being with the Father, He intercedes on our behalf with the Father. We learned this in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, where it says about the intercession that Jesus works on our behalf, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was risen, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So yes, we know that Jesus is with the Father interceding for us. And we'll talk about that, that way of the one way that Jesus intercedes for us in just a moment on our behalf. But there's something else that's just a little bit more subtle, but yet obvious. And that it is that God is still our Father when we sin. John doesn't say that Jesus Christ is with God. He says He's with the Father. As in, He doesn't say He's no longer your Father. Jesus is at God's side on your behalf. He says, Jesus is at the Father's side. And he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It's like this. If my children rebel against my authority as their father, they do not cease to be my children, do they? Will I be displeased with them and will I withhold privileges and will I punish them if they rebel? It is my responsibility as a parent to do so. Yes, I will, but they are still my children, are they not? And my desire is that they would repent and ask forgiveness and to submit to my authority so that our fellowship can be restored, right? And it is the same with our Heavenly Father. 
We have a heavenly Father, and His desire for us is that we would not sin, and that we would have complete fellowship with Him and with His children, and that we would know complete joy. But look at verse 1 again. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And here's the third piece of good news. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Now, what is an advocate? If you are reading from the NIV this morning, the New International Version this morning, you see the phrase used here instead of the word advocate is this phrase, one who speaks to the Father in our defense. That's a pretty good definition for advocate. We also know the term advocate as used as in a lawyer who represents your case in a court of law. And that's, and that's the, the setting here. And that's the, the idea is one of, of, uh, in a legal term. He is an advocate. And if we do sin, we have this intercessor in Jesus Christ who is in heaven with the Father and it is Jesus. He is our advocate. He pleads our case with the Father. He's the one who speaks to the Father in our defense. And there is no one better to speak to the Father in our defense than Jesus Christ. And it's a very good thing that Jesus Christ is our advocate because we learned this in Revelation 12.10 that Satan is the accuser of believers day and night before God. And Satan wants God to condemn the believer. God, God is, by Satan, want, Satan wants God to say, no, when we confess sin. No, I do not forgive you. No, you are condemned to punishment. Satan wants us to lose our salvation too. Satan doesn't want us to be followers of Christ. He wants us to experience God's wrath. But we have an advocate. Satan wants God to condemn the believer and to not forgive us when we confess our sins, but Christ is our advocate with the Father. It is Jesus. And what's so special about this advocate, this this Jesus? What's so special about this advocate that we have as believers? And Jesus Christ is this fourth piece of good news. Look at verse 1 again. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here's the fourth piece of good news. Jesus Christ is the righteous. He is righteousness. He is light. He is truth. He is without sin. We have an advocate who is with the Father, and that advocate is completely sinless. He is righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Remember 1 John chapter 1, verse 5? You might be able to see it from chapter 2. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Now we would be in trouble if our forgiveness depended on one who was not sinless. You know, we would be in deep trouble if we depended, if we had to depend on one who was an advocate for us, but that advocate was not without sin. Because you know what that would mean is that we would have to do something to make up for that deficiency. 
And there's absolutely nothing that we can do to justify ourselves before God except short of trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we have this wonderful truth that we know from God's Word that Jesus Christ is the righteous one. He is light. He is truth. We are only worthy of forgiveness through Jesus Christ and thank God that Jesus Christ is the righteous. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 puts it this way, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We are ransomed with something that is far better than with our own works, which you need to know are considered as worthless. Your works are worthless before God. My works are worthless for redeeming us from the pit of our own sin, from saving our souls. Our works are worthless as filthy rags before God. We are actually ransomed with something that is far more valuable than silver and gold. We are ransomed from the punishment for our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And John goes on to describe Jesus Christ the righteous by saying that, verse 2, look at verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ, piece of good news number 5, Jesus Christ is our propitiation. And I realize that that's a big word and we likely never use that during the week. But it is a valuable word. In biblical terms, propitiation is used a handful of times in the New Testament. Propitiation is a very important word for us to know and understand. And I'm so thankful for the translations that leave the word in so that we can... Go and dig and find out what the word means because this is a wonderful word for believers who sin. Propitiation is a very important word that's used here in the New Testament. It makes it very clear that the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, quenched God's just and righteous wrath against us. You realize as sinners... God's wrath is righteous and just and holy. And we deserve His wrath. And what is amazing to me is that we don't deserve, we don't get what we deserve. We do deserve punishment. We don't get punishment when we depend upon Jesus Christ. And the fact that Jesus Christ is the propitiation, He is our propitiation, means that He is the acceptable sacrifice for our sins, something that we could not accomplish on our own. J.I. Packer helps understand, helps us understand the the wonder and beauty of Christ, our propitiation, when, when he says this, Christ assumed our identity, as it were, and endured the retributive judgment due to us as our substitute in our place with the damning record of our transgressions 
nailed by God to His cross as the tally of crimes for which He was now dying. Jesus Christ is our propitiation. And that's a wonderful truth for believers who sin. We can confess our sin and we will be forgiven by God because Jesus Christ, our righteous advocate with the Father, has already paid the price for our sin. And yes, Christians still sin. But God doesn't want His little children to sin. And the good news is that when we walk in the light as He is in the light, when we yield to God's Word and the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives, it's possible for us not to sin. Walking in the truth, walking in the light of God's Word with the power of the Holy Spirit in His indwelling presence working in us, it is possible for believers to resist sin and not sin. It is possible for believers in the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, taking the power of the Word when we yield to the Word to help us defeat the old nature. But when we do sin, we do not lose our salvation. But our fellowship can be broken. Our fellowship can be broken with God. It can be broken with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we lose true and complete joy when our fellowship is broken. So we do not lose our salvation, but we certainly can lose fellowship with God, which will be harmful to us. We lose complete joy. We lose complete satisfaction in God when we sin and when we remain in our sin. But when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And He is our advocate because He is righteous. He can be our advocate, and He is our advocate because He is sinless. And He makes forgiveness for our sins possible because He already has taken the punishment for our sin. He's already paid the price for all of our sin. For our sin, His His blood shed on the cross for us and for anyone who will trust in Him. His blood is completely sufficient to pay for the penalty for their sins, for any who will trust in Him, for them, for us, for the whole world. And He's already paid that price. So how should all of this good news grow us in Christ-likeness as God's little children. This is good news, isn't it? How should this good news affect us and change us and grow us in Christ-likeness? Well, I contend that this good news should help us grow in our fellowship. I think it ought to come back to fellowship with God and fellowship with God's children. And this good news should help us grow in our fellowship with God. And it ought to grow us in our fellowship with God's children in that, in this way. When, when we're walking in the light, when we're being honest with God about our sin, when we agree with God about our sin, yes, God, what I've done is sin and I need to confess it and get it right with you. I need your forgiveness. When we agree with God about our sin, and when we begin to walk in the light of His Word, putting ourselves in the Word and putting His Word in us, 
And we yield to the work that the Holy Spirit does when He takes the Word and works it in us to obey. And when we're being obedient to God and we're enjoying God's forgiveness through the Son, Jesus Christ, we learn, because of His grace shown to us, we learn to respond with grace toward those who sin against us. And so this grows us in fellowship with God, and this certainly grows us in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We learn to forgive others even as God in Christ forgives us, right? And so these wonderful truths that we have for saved sinners ought to grow us in fellowship with God. Ought to grow us in our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we ought to be growing in the grace that we show one another and the forgiveness that we show one another when we are sinned against God's grace toward us ought to contribute to our fellowship with one another as we become more aware of our own sinfulness, as we become more aware of our own need for constant forgiveness, as we become more and more aware that God is always faithful to forgive when we confess our sin. Our own demonstration of grace and forgiveness toward those who sin against us should become more and more Christ-like as well. As we take great hope and great joy in these five truths for believers who sin, as we take great hope and joy in these truths here in 1 John, we got to grow up in Christ and enjoy true fellowship with God and true fellowship that's found through His Word and through prayer and through yielding and humbling ourselves before Him in obedience to Him. And we will enjoy true fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ when we realize the kind of grace that God shows us. We'll be able to practice that kind of grace toward others. When we realize that we don't deserve God's grace, we ought to be able to show grace to those who may not deserve it from us. Growing up in Christ. Enjoying true fellowship with the Father. Enjoying true fellowship through the Son. Enjoying true fellowship with God's children, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, will lead us to a complete and satisfactory joy. Complete satisfaction in Jesus Christ because our fellowship is complete in Christ, through through Christ, with God, and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we realize that it's possible for us to conquer sin. Perfection is not likely, is it? But day by day, moment by moment, claiming the power of the cross of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to work His work in us, to use His Word to help us kill sin. Or like I reminded you last week, as John Owen says, kill sin or it will be killing you. And so with the power of Christ, it's possible for us not to sin. But when we sin, we do not lose our salvation. Take great hope. You are God's child if you've confessed your sin and you believe in Jesus Christ. Turn to His Word and trust in Him and take great hope and satisfaction in knowing that you are God's child. But be warned, if you allow sin to remain in your life, your fellowship with God and your brothers and sisters in Christ and your complete joy will be sacrificed. And just remember that when you do sin, You have the Advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the sinless, who makes forgiveness 
for your sins possible because He's already paid. He's already taken the punishment. Pray with me this morning. Our Father in Heaven, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the reminders that we have here in Your Word to embolden us, encourage us, to strengthen us, to remind us, to admonish and correct us. And oh, how we need all those things. So Lord, I pray, help us at all times to yield before You. May the attitude of our hearts and Your people be one of a yieldedness and humble and contrition before You. Lord, help us to repent of our sin at all times. Help us to be quick to repent and turn to You. And then, Lord, help us to realize that we are forgiven. Help us to take great hope and joy and comfort in knowing that we can conquer sin with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can kill sin. And Lord, we must be killing sin. Help us to pursue a walk with Christ through the Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer that grows us in Christ's likeness, that helps us say no to sin. But Lord, help us to take great hope and encouragement and faith and comfort in knowing that though we sin, Jesus Christ is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the sinless and righteous and holy one. And He makes forgiveness possible because He's paid the price. Lord, help us to not go on sinning. Help us to be quick to repent when we do sin. And help us to depend upon You and Your Word. And Lord, restore our fellowship with You. Restore our fellowship with one another. Grow us in our walk with You and with our walk with one another as believers. And Lord, show us Your complete joy and satisfaction. And Father, I pray, should there be an unbeliever or more than one in our midst this morning, I pray, God, help them to realize and understand that Jesus Christ shed His blood for them. Open their eyes to the truths that they need to see and understand and believe in. That they need to confess their sin and believe in Jesus Christ and turn in saving faith to You. And Lord, help us as followers of Christ to never forget that precious gift. Help us to live in grace toward one another as You've shown us grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.